This church at Corinth that the Apostle Paul planted, it was planted in one of the most notorious cities of the Mediterranean of its day. Corinth had a reputation for corruption because the traders from all over the Mediterranean came to Corinth not only to trade goods but also to trade in lusts and in licentiousness. When Paul arrived at Corinth, it is true to say he felt the opposition of the enemy very keenly. The devil was after him and the devil was there to oppose him. So much so that in Acts 18, whereby we have the recording of the planting of the church at Corinth, the Lord had to speak to him in a vision of the night. And the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Sometimes the devil would make us so afraid that we're nearly scared to open our mouths. And so the Lord would speak uh, through Paul to all of our hearts tonight. Don't be afraid to speak about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Other than Paul himself wrote that, we would find it hard to believe. Here was the chief apostle, a man so greatly used and owned of God, and he was afraid. That's why God spoke to him in Acts 18. He was afraid. So can you tell me what was the secret of his success at Corinth? Here was a man who was afraid to speak in this city. He was so overawed, overpowered by its sin and by the corruption that he found within that city. What was the key to his success? Well, the key to his success is found in these few verses in the opening chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He focused his message on the centrality of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The centrality of the cross of Jesus. And of course that message was anti-cultural in its day. Oftentimes the, the, the church in order to find an accommodation with the world that they live in, they try to accommodate themselves to the culture of the day. Thus the pulpit is dispensed with and it becomes a stage. Thus the old-fashioned singing of God's praises are dispensed with and we sing pop songs eh, instead and we've turned the world into the church. So much so we want to accommodate ourselves to the culture of the day. But Paul did not accommodate himself to the culture of the day. Because as he majored on the cross, he was going counter-cultural to what was happening in his day and in his generation. The message of the cross to the Grecian Roman culture was considered the height of foolishness. They laughed at it. And it was derided. It was derided by the educated. It was derided by the uneducated. Did Paul find popularity by this message that he preached? Not a bit of it. They laughed him to scorn. And the Jews, of course, were equally incensed. This message of this carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be the Messiah, who by Roman law was crucified on a little hill, crag outside Jerusalem's city wall. It was a complete repudiation of the Jewish thinking of the Messiah because when they thought of the Messiah they thought of one who was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom and reign from Jerusalem and, and put out the Roman occupying forces. 
So in the first century, the cross symbolized something that was repulsive to the world. It was not a fashion accessory. There are many modern Christians who love to wear crosses. Dear brethren and sisters, don't be so easily deluded. You don't have to wear an image of the cross to believe in the cross. That's not what Paul is talking about here whatsoever. How then did Paul present this message of uh, the cross of Jesus to the church at Corinth? He didn't relaunch it. He didn't try to rebrand it. He just retold it. And that's what you and I are called to do here and on alone. And that's what we have been doing for the last 18 years of my duration here. I have never really tried to rebrand the gospel. I have never really tried to repackage the gospel. But week by week it has been my calling to retell the gospel. Matthew Henry put it as only he can. The plain preaching of a crucified Jesus was more powerful than all the oratory and philosophy of the heathen world. So it was and so it is. Just the plain preaching of a crucified saviour is still the power of God unto salvation. And so I want to stop with you tonight before we come to this table. And we're going to look at the preaching of the cross. The preaching of Christ crucified. And encourage our hearts to know that it's still the power of God unto salvation unto those that believe. We have no other message. We have nothing else to proclaim but the preaching of the cross on Christ crucified. So consider with me firstly then the proclamation of the cross. In verse 18, the preaching of the cross is just the word that is used for the word of the cross. There's a singularity about it. And that's what God has called us to do. He's called us to preach it. We're not called to dramatize it. We're not even called to sing it. We're not called to act it out. We're not called to put on a production about it. We're just called to preach it. The preaching of the cross. The word of the cross. I think to understand what the word of the cross is. We have to understand I think the context uh, verse 17, Paul spoke of the wisdom of words. And Paul had good reason not to substitute the word of the cross with the wisdom of words. They ought not to be confused, the two, one with the other. He made it clear that he had renounced the wisdom of words. And what were the wisdom of words? The Grecian Roman philosophy of its day. He'd renounced it. Did Paul know it? Yes, he did. Of course he did. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was taught in all of the philosophies of the day and of the Jewish law. But the cross of Christ, he said, would be made of none effect if it was only a, a presented with the wisdom of words, with the eloquence of men, with a, fish, with a vain fleshly demonstration of words. We're not called to dress it up. We're just called to declare it. And sometimes preachers get their words mixed up. Sometimes they get them back to front. Sometimes they say the wrong word at the wrong time. Well, give me that type of preacher any time and who preaches the centrality of the cross than the man who can preach the dictionary and who can use all of the, the large 
a sounding, well-sounding word. We're not called to do that. We're just called to preach and declare the cross of Jesus. It still is the one and only way of salvation. It's the word of the cross. There's no other word. There's no other way. There's only one way of salvation. And it's through the cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're told that we must be more tolerant. We must be more inclusive. And that's sadly we see it reflected even on state occasions. So state occasions, instead of it being the national church now, it's an inclusion of all the great world religions represented in it. That's the, the doctrine of synchronism. We're trying to synchronize it all in. But there's only one way to get to heaven. There's just one word of the cross. It's through the work of that middle tree. And it's through faith in the work of the one who did the sacrifice, who, who, who gave the sacrifice on the middle tree. If it's not through that, it's through nothing else. The cross declares the justice of Almighty God. Here we see the innocent Son of God. And he's declared guilty. He was declared guilty. And that was why he was condemned to death, though he was innocent. And we see the supreme justice of God decreed that the sinner must die. And the Lord Jesus, he vicariously died in the sinner's stead. God commended his love toward us. Romans 5 and 8, those great gospel texts. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That little prepositional again, Christ died in the stead of us. That little word for, he died in the stead of us. The word of the cross, it not only tells us about justice, it tells us about mercy. Because at the cross, on that centre tree, justice and mercy met. They kissed each other. Though the son had to die, it was through his death that God extended mercy to those that were least deserving of it. At the cross, there is justice, the unrelenting Justice of Almighty God. God couldn't even spare his own son. In that he became the, the, the payment for the sins of his people. He could not be spared. He was declared guilty. He now was bearing the sins of all of his people. But at the same time, because he bore the sins of all of his people. And through the shedding of his blood, the sins of his people would be forgiven. There was mercy extended. Justice and mercy met at the cross. And how we thank God. That Romans tells us, Romans 5 and 19. By one man's disobedience many were made sinners. And so by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous. What a mercy. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. We were thinking today of the great interventions of God in world history, even in our nation's history, thought in the early morning prayer meeting how God stepped in so many times during World War I, World War II, and subsequent conflicts. God stepped in. But the greatest intervention of God in the history of men was when the Son of God stepped from eternity into time in the incarnation and became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And bore our sins to the centre cross of Calvary. This cross tells us that redemption is complete. 
Jesus was the final sacrifice. There is therefore now no more sacrifice. His work completed it all. The days of sacrificing are over. He is the great high priest, finished all the sacrifices. It is on his sacrifice you'll get to heaven through no other sacrifice. There are people all over the world this day and they've made sacrifices, they've made animal sacrifices, they've shed blood of animals and they've offered up other things to Almighty God in a sacrificial manner in order to appease God and to merit favour with him. But it's all of ill effort because Jesus finished all the sacrifices. Remember that great cry from Calvary. It is finished. In the original it's just one word. Finished. It's all done. That's the word of the cross. We're preaching the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And believer. That's all you and I have to rest upon. We, we have nothing of our own merit to rest upon. We have nothing of our own striving to rest upon. What have we to rest upon? Just his finished work. And that's what we're doing at this table tonight. Once again we're proclaiming our faith in the finished work of God's own dear son. It's finished. That's what we're meant to proclaim. Though the word of the cross it calls us to exercise faith just in what the dear saviour has done. Do not treat the cross as some side issue. It is the central issue. That's what the whole gospel is about. The whole message of the gospel is about that centre tree. And the one who bore our sins on the centre tree. And when I looked to the cross as a young teenager by faith. I saw one dying in agony in my room and in my stead. And I got life for a look at the crucified one. But you know tonight. All those years later. Nearly 40 years later. I'm still looking to the cross. And there's still life for a look at the crucified one. Secondly, I want you to notice those who are perishing, who reject the cross. You remember on the cross where the Lord Jesus hung, there were two on either side of him. And there was one man perished. The unbelieving thief, he perished. And those who are perishing, they call the message of the cross foolishness. The unbelieving thief, he couldn't understand. If Jesus was the Son of God, why did he not just come down from the cross? Why had he to die? It was foolishness to him that he should die. He didn't see the wonderful plan of saving grace. It's foolishness to them because it's beyond human reason. But you know it's beyond human reason because it can only be seen through divine revelation, not through human reasoning. It's only through divine revelation. We read in 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul expanded this whole idea and he said, verse 13, The Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Because they're spiritually discerned. You know what I discovered again from this passage as I looked at it. If you look just further down that uh, passage that we took as our text. 
verse 18 to verse 23. Uh, Paul talks about those who are called and he talks about those who are chosen. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then we further on down, verse 27. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. The called. The called. Every time the gospel is preached, there are two calls that are given out. There's the external call. That's the voice of the preacher. But there's also the internal call of the Spirit of God. And those that are the chosen ones. We, look, we thought of that this morning. I, I never shy away from that because it's the truth. I, I don't say I understand it, but it thrills my heart. that It just humbles this soul of mine. That God had a people and he chose them. And he called them. And those that are chosen, they are called. And those that are called, they are enabled. As we read here in Second in First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. They receive the things of God. They are the ones that receive it. Those who are foolish and still in their sin, they can't receive it. And it's one of the great signs of the sealing of your calling and election that you do understand the centrality of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a time in your life when you heard his call in your heart. You didn't understand all about election and predestination. That all, I think, comes afterwards. But you understood that God was calling you. And then you responded to that call. And you understood afterwards, well, he called me because he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world. And those that thus respond to the cross of Christ are the ones that are called, are the ones that are chosen. Oh, to the world it's foolishness. Because it, concern, it concerns a matter over which they have no concern. Not your man is not concerned about sin. He's not concerned about judgment. He's not concerned about eternity. He's not concerned about the whereabouts of his soul. I have gone to people on their deathbed. And you would think people on their deathbed would be concerned about where they're going to be just in a few moments, in a few hours, maybe a, a, a few days. But they're not. They're concerned about who's going to get their stuff. They're concerned about who's going to occupy their place. They're not thinking about eternity. And the cross is far from their mind. Sadly, there are many today in the evangelical church, in the broad evangelical church, and in order to make the, the cross more palatable, they've made it sociable. I believe in mercy ministries. I believe in showing mercy. I believe in exercising mercy. But never once would I ever indicate that the social gospel should take over the sacrificial message of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who believe the, the message of the cross is foolishness. They're, they're clinging on to the wisdom of the world. 
Verse 19, this word wisdom is used. It's a very important word in 1 Corinthians. It's used 17 times in 1 Corinthians. And in 16 of those times, it's in the first three chapters. So Paul is battling. He's battling against the wisdom of the world. Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. And the wisdom of God is, is foolishness with the world. The life-saving message of the gospel is divinely revealed. It's divinely revealed. You know, why can a group of friends sit on a church pew and they hear the same preacher, they hear the same exhortation, they hear the same pleading, but only one response. They have been called, they have been chosen. It's been divinely revealed to them. Oh, dear believer, as the Lord has revealed to you the centrality of the cross of Jesus and has shown to you how Jesus paid your debt by his dying on Calvary's tree, you are blessed above all blessed. What a blessing. But thirdly, there's power in this cross. For those who are saved, the Bible tells us it's the power of God. You'll know, I know you'll know that word power is the word from where we get our dynamite. It's the dynamite of heaven. This dynamite of heaven, it, it, it'll overcome the greatest philosophies of the world. I've been privileged over my ministry to meet with people who have been converted to Christ from Hinduism, from uh, Buddhism, from Islam, from all the great world religions, from nominal Protestantism, from uh, Romanism. And it's been the power of the cross that has overcome it all. It's the cross of Jesus that breaks it all down. The gospel is such a power we could never comprehend it by itself. But I love those words, just the reassurance to our hearts tonight. If you understand it, it's because you're chosen, it's because you've been called. How do you make your election and calling sure? You come to the cross. It's at the cross, at the cross I can say, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Now I'm happy all the day. I'm not bringing you to an altar, a decision form, or an inquiry room. I'm calling you to come to the cross of Jesus tonight. To repent of your sin and to give your heart and life to him. It's this power of the cross that changes souls and saves souls. It's marvellous to see the power of God at work in lives. We should never cease believing in the power of God to change men and women. Oftentimes, because of the hardness, the spiritual hardness of the day that we live in, it's nearly as if we've, we've, we've given up believing in the power of the cross. But there's power in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us... Let us as a people once again regroup around the banner of the cross. 
in those great battles, those set battles of years gone by, when the enemy dispersed the, the, the sitting army, the army always regathered again around the standard. And they looked for the standard on the battlefield. And the only standard that Christians should gather around on the battlefield is the, the, the standard of the cross of Jesus. That blood-stained banner that the Christian church has held to and advanced its cause through. Gather around the blood-stained banner of Calvary again, dear brethren and sisters. We'll go into the winter's work with all of the challenges, with all of the battles, as we reach out into our own local community and seek to support and encourage others in different places, let us reaffirm again tonight our belief in that bloodstained banner of Calvary. Let's regroup again. But not just regroup as it were, but let's take new ground. Let's go forward. Uh, we don't have to go forward as I said earlier on, with some new message, or reinvent the old message, or repackage it up. No, we'll just keep preaching. The centrality of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a lovely little illustration of a father who was writing to his son in the trenches in World War I. This young man had entertained what was known then as modern thoughts, and his father prayed for him on the home field. And he wrote to him. And by and by he would get those letters in the trenches. And he would read them. And he wrote back from the front. And the, the, the writing has been recorded. You're right, Father. I know you're praying for me. Whatever a man might be when face to face with death, his thoughts run to higher sphere. There were times I knew when I caused you sorrow. But this I know. This cruel war has brought it to me. There's only one comfort in life. And there's no comfort in any other ideas other than the teachings of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And only in the cross there is security for eternity. Yesterday at the funeral of the late Dr. Bill Woods, we were walking over to the grave there was just a few at that funeral. It was Dr. Woods' wish that it would be a private funeral. I was there just as a past chairman of the mission board. I didn't know all the people who were at it. But I heard one man whom I, whom I do know. And he said to one of our brethren, he said, you know, this is not the end. And then he added, I believe that truth more today than ever in my life. What a testimony at the graveside. No works of merit now I plead, but Jesus take for all my need. No righteousness in me is found except upon redemption ground. It's a good place to be. No. no new ideas, no new theologies, just the old-fashioned 
preaching of the cross of Jesus. It has taken every saint home and it will take you home. Trust in it.